Friends, if we can, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, right under you. And in those church Bibles, um, you'll be able to find Hebrews in the table of contents in the very front. It will be towards the back of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson. I serve as the pastor here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. So really grateful to be with you all this evening to open up God's Word. And as you can tell, we are going to take a little break just for this weekend from our Acts sermon series and spend time in the book of Hebrews. And the topic that I want to talk about today is entering into a peaceful rest that God gives. Now, the reason I want to do this is for two reasons. First off, I know talking with your pastor, Rafe, and talking with some of you, it has been a tiring and weary season for believers and unbelievers alike. Life has been uncertain. There's been a lot of pivoting, a lot of life change, and the emotional drain and anxiety that you feel, it is a very real thing. And we all need to know, I need to know, that God offers us a rest and a peace that we can have now. Secondly, another reason why we're doing this is because we've just been really busy as a, as a church. There's been a lot of outreaches, a lot of calls to volunteer for different things. You know, we've been preaching in the last 12 months about the book of Acts, which is all about evangelism, reaching out to the lost, loving your neighbors, you know, do this, do this. And these are all good things. And the reason we're in the book of Acts, once again, during this pandemic season, is because during times of crisis, Christ followers don't retreat. Christ followers step into those moments. So that's why we've been in the book of Acts. But I also know as well, too, that it can be very easy for us as a church to have our activity for God replace our intimacy with God. Therefore, that, that in our business for Jesus, it becomes more important than abiding in Jesus. You know, last weekend, if you remember, if you were with us, we had our summer baptisms and we commissioned our Hyde Park launch team. And it was a sweet time of worship and celebration. Now, we were only planning for that morning last week for only for 11 baptisms. But God gave us 12, which is awesome. You know, Yacinda was a young woman who was there with her family just for a fun day at the beach. And she saw us out there. She wanted to know more what was going on. And right there at the beach, she professed faith in Jesus. And she wanted to express her faith through baptism that morning. And I'll tell you today, I am still praising God for all of that. But let me say something. I wasn't praising God before the baptisms. Because at 9 a.m., when we told everyone to get to the beach, a storm cloud was rolling right through Chicago. And for the entire week, and even that morning on AccuWeather, there was no signs that it was going to rain. So all of a sudden, there's this massive rain cloud over us. And I thought to myself, God, why are you trying to discourage us from worshiping you? It's like, why, God? What are you doing? You know, we have this great program for you. All the volunteers are ready and set up to do things, but now we have to tear everything down. So after an hour of waiting, we resumed our worship service, and I was just a tad bit frustrated, a tad bit annoyed, because everything wasn't going exactly as I planned it. But when Yacinda showed up and asked to be baptized, I knew right then and there, again, reminded again, I know this in my head, but now I felt it in my heart, that God's timing is always perfect. Because if we started at 9 a.m., we would have finished before her family showed up. In my rush and anxiety to get things going, to get my program going, God was already on the move. He was already at work and I just didn't know it. That Sunday morning, I trusted in my activity and busyness over God's sovereignty. And let me just tell you, it's once I understand that God was in control, my heart could rest. 
my heart could the delight to delight. So this is where I want us to go today. I want us to enter into this peaceful rest that God gives. So let's read our verses and then let's jump in. All right. So Hebrews chapter four, looking at verses 11 to 13 here. Verse 11. It says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, a couple of years ago, I was kayaking for the first time down the Chicago River and right through the heart of downtown Chicago. And I thought to myself, this is going to be such a calm and nice experience. It was the complete opposite. The wind was strong. The waves were rolling. And for the next two hours, I was constantly fighting against the waves so I wouldn't lose my group that was in front of me. And there were some moments that I was so exhausted that I just want to throw my paddle away and let the waves take me out to the state of Michigan or to Canada. I just didn't care anymore. In the same way, if I can say this, as Christ followers, if we're not careful and diligent, we too can drift away specifically from the security of our faith in Jesus. That we're constantly facing waves that are beating on us and tempting us every single day to give up on our faith. That we're hit with the wave of worldly values. So instead of living for the Great Commission, we're giving ourselves to the American dream of health, wealth, and consumerism. That we're hit with the wave of fleshly desires, of lust, that makes us believe that holiness and purity are old-fashioned ideas. We're hit with the wave of pride, materialism, greed, the hunger for power and status to build our kingdom over Christ's kingdom. If we're not careful, we too can drift away. You know, the author of Hebrews today is exhorting his readers to endure that he's currently writing to first century Jewish converts to Christianity who are tempted right now to turn back from their faith in Christ to go back to their old religion and Judaism because following Christ has become really hard for them. That for a Jew to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah meant that you were putting your Jewishness to the other side. So just imagine in that first century having to give up on your heritage and traditions and your ceremonies. Things that gave you so much identity to who you were. Imagine giving up on your financial security. Also, from a socio-political standpoint, Judaism was a recognized religion under the Roman government, which meant that they were protected from persecution. So when you became a Christian and you stopped following the religion of Judaism, you were opening yourself and your family to persecution. To be a Christ follower follower was very, very hard. These new believers were weary and scared, and they wanted to drift back to something that was way easier and way more familiar. The author of Hebrews steps right into this crisis of faith and exhorts these believers, don't drift. Your old life is not better. Jesus is always better. And the way he proves his point is by taking very familiar Jewish practices, places, people, and promises, and shows them all throughout the book of Hebrews how Jesus is better than all of it. 
that Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than the Levitical priests. He is greater than all the animal sacrifices. Drifting back to your old faith is not better. Jesus is always better, and he is worth enduring for. Enduring, to, enduring for. So hang on to him and consider all that you possess in Christ. Do not give that up. Now, what we have in our verses today is that the author here gives another reason for these believers not to give up to remind them that Jesus is worth enduring for. And he does this by telling them that you possess a restful peace with God. That because you have this, hang in there. So the way we're going to go about this to understand what the author is saying here is by answering these three questions from our verses. First, what is this incredible promise of rest that we have from God? What is this rest? What is this peaceful rest? Secondly, what can make us drift away from this beautiful promise? What can take us away from this rest? And then finally, what can help us to anchor ourselves to this promise of rest, okay? So here's the first thing we're going to see here is the great promise of restful peace with God. And what this restful peace is, is that it's in Christ we have a contentedness and calm that is above any of our circumstances. You know, look at the first half of verse 11 here. It says this, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Now that word therefore points us back to what has been said previously. And what the author is reminding these Hebrew believers is that there is a greater restful peace that you can experience today. And the way he does this is by unpacking the Old Testament meaning of rest that was tied to a land that was promised by God. Now, a little background here. During the Israelites' time in Egypt, the Israelites were slaves and they were worked to the ground. And they cried out day and night for God to save them. And God hears their cries, raises the leader in the person of Moses, and delivers them from the hands of Pharaoh. And finally, the people of God could find rest in the land of Canaan. Because Canaan meant that they would now have a home. That they would now have political peace and social rest. They would have security and safety. This was the promise of rest in the Old Testament. It was the land of Canaan. But here's the thing, it was still lacking. Because even when the people of God were able to enter into the promised land, there was still civil war, oppressors conquered them, disobedience from the kings, idol worship throughout the land, that just because they were in the land didn't mean that they had peace. So what is happening in our verses is the author of Hebrews says all of that and says there is a greater restful peace that you have. It's not rooted in land or territory, but in one person, Jesus Christ. And this restful peace is not so much political peace, social peace, economic peace, which will happen when Jesus returns again. But this greater promise of rest is a spiritual peace with God. It's having a right relationship with him. And this is something that we can experience today. That because of our salvation, we can experience the fruit of that salvation, which is contentedness, security, and acceptance because we are right with God. And this is something these Hebrew believers needed to hear desperately because they were weary 
and so fearful. This is why in the first 13 verses of chapter 4, the word rest comes up 10 times because God wants them to know that this rest is for you today. And friends, this is something we also need to receive because we too, we're weary, anxious, and restless. Maybe for some of us, we've experienced the hardest year of our lives because of this pandemic. Some of us are still facing down financial difficulties, joblessness. For some, the isolation has brought bouts of depression and severe anxiety. We've seen our country be torn apart over justice and race issues and politics. We've experienced broken relationships between friends and family members, between you and maybe mom and dad over stuff like this. And just, and just when we thought everything was in the clear, you know, the city and country opened up, you know, we're all free to go. The Delta variant now surges on. Just like these Hebrew believers, man, you just get tired. You get tired, you get weary. But this is the good news. Even in the midst of uncertainty and hardships, God offers a restful peace. And this peace is not contingent on having good circumstances. It's contingent on having a good God. It is rooted in a powerful God. This is why the author of Hebrews can write to these believers who are presently facing very, very hard times. Very, very traumatic times. Incredible times of uncertainties. And tells them that this rest is available because your God is always in control. That there is nothing that can happen in my life. There is nothing that can happen in your life. That God is not greater. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will love you. This is the great promise of restful peace that we can have from God. A rest that is never dependent on my circumstances or my bank account or my health or my relationship status or my degrees or certifications because my circumstances are always changing. And when your circumstances are always going up and down, guess what is happening to your heart? It's also going up and down. Your joy is going up and down. Your happiness is going up and down. Your contentedness is going up and down. But do you know who never changes? Your God never changes. He never drifts. This is the restful peace and confidence we can have in God. But this leads us to the second question, the second insight. We need to stay diligent in possessing this peace because we can drift from this. We can drift from this process, from this promise. Look at verse 11 here. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Look at those words, make every effort effort. You know, what we have here is a difference between a passive faith and a diligent faith. A passive faith doesn't pursue, it doesn't strive, it doesn't discipline, and because of that, this is someone who will be tossed by the waves. You know, when I was kayaking, I realized very quickly that if I wanted to drift away, I didn't need to paddle the opposite direction. All I had to do was do nothing. All I had to do was put the paddle on the kayak, and I would be carried away by the waves. The author of Hebrews is telling us that if you want to experience this restful peace, you have to be diligent in your trust and obedience to God. And the way that the author teaches us this is by giving us an example of what not to do, specifically what the Israelites did in the wilderness. Verse 11 again. 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So what happened is that during their journey, the Israelites' journey to the promised land, the Israelites became so ungrateful. Every morning, day after day, God would miraculously provide food and manna for them. But the Israelites complained, oh, there's not enough variety. And they whined and whined and whined. They would say things like, why did God lead us to the wilderness to die? We were better off as slaves in Egypt. Really? They were saying that? And, and then God would promise them that I would defeat your enemies. But the people of God said, I don't think you can. Because look at how big the armies are. Look at how big the walls are. We, we can't beat them. And even though God delivered them from, the, from Egypt with miracles, he parted the Red Sea, he leads them with a pillar of cloud and fire. The Israelites, like, the Israelites were like, nah, God, I don't, I don't think I can really trust you. The Israelites continually doubted in the goodness of God and his power. And this is the warning for us. When hard times come, and they will come, when life doesn't go the way that we expect, we will always have two choices. Will we trust God and receive his promises or will we doubt him? What happened to the Israelites in the wilderness is something that happens to us all the time. We are struck with spiritual amnesia. That we forget who our God is. We stop recalling all that he has done for us. We don't look at the overwhelming evidence of his love and provision and faithfulness through the entirety of our lives. We don't consider the truths of scripture of how it says that how, did he, how, how, how could he who did not spare his one and only son, how will he also not graciously give us all things? We forget these things or even worse, we choose not to look at them and claim them. Instead, we look to the, how hard our life is. We stare at how unfair it is. We look at unanswered prayers. We look at how terrible our marriages are. We focus on our lost, our lost opportunities. So instead of trusting in God, we believe that having more money will give us peace. Having our political party in power will make things right. That if I have this relationship or new spouse, or if I have this grade or this degree or this number of kids, yes, I will finally be content. It will never happen. It will only bring more restlessness and emptiness because it cannot meet the God-sized hole in your heart. You know, John D. Rockefeller, a 19th century businessman, and considered to be the wealthiest person in modern history, was once, was once asked this question. Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? How much is enough for you? And this is what he said. Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. The world will never give us restful peace. Don't make the same mistake as the Israelites in the wilderness, that because of their continual faithlessness, they were kept out of the promised land. And keep this in mind, God didn't just do this as an act of punishment, but God keeping them out of the promised land was a reflection of what was already true about their hearts. They never had peace with God to start off with because they never trusted in his promises. 
If you want to experience this restful peace, we have to take hold of it. We have to remain diligent. Don't make the same mistake as the people in the wilderness. Trust God, obey him, pursue him. Don't be defined by your doubts towards God. Be defined by your faithfulness to him. And this leads us to the final question and insight. What can help us to anchor ourselves to this promise of rest? What can help us to stay diligent so that we don't drift from this promise? It's when we allow the word of God to diagnose the condition of our hearts and to draw us back to God. Let me say that one more time. It's when we allow the word of God to diagnose our hearts and to draw us back to God. Verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to, to whom we must give account. Now, when you see the word judge here in verse 12, this doesn't mean condemning judgment, but more so an assessment of our spiritual condition. And the way that God does this is through his word. That the word of God here is described as a double-edged sword. Now, this double-edged sword could have been a small boning knife to cut up meat or a sword that is used in battle. But the point was the same, that nothing was sharper during that time than this tool or weapon. And what God does with this tool is that he cuts to the deepest parts of our lives. That he gets past the hypocrisy. He gets past excuses. He gets past the self-justifying. He gets past the hardness of heart. And he goes to the very attitudes and intentions. He exposes the secrets behind those secrets that are behind those secrets. There is nowhere to hide before God. And frankly, when we stand before God exposed, even on our best days of faith, we will see that we're still lacking in some ways in our trust and obedience. That even our best deeds in some ways will be tainted with some sin. And what we begin to realize is that we are more like the Israelites than we would like to imagine. Now that's kind of a downer, right? How does knowing this help us to hang on and to anchor ourselves to the promise of God's restful peace? How does knowing the fact that we are totally exposed before God, there is no more hiding before God. He sees everything that we've done. How does that help us? It's so that we would know to always come to him. It's so that we would know to confess and repent our sins and to see again why we need a Savior. It's so that we would know to pray daily for the Spirit to empower us to live for Him. It's so that we would know and oppose the schemes and lives of Satan to weaken our faith so that we would know that we would catch ourselves before we drift too far. That this is what happens, that when you bring yourself before the Word of God and when your weaknesses are exposed, when your insecurities are exposed, when your sins are 
exposed. God is not pushing you away. He is drawing you to himself, to the source of love, to the source of strength, to the source of encouragement. Come to me and find rest. That is what he seeks to do as we continually engage the word of God. He draws us back into his restful arms. But in order for this to happen, we have to anchor ourselves to the word of God. You know, some of you guys might not know this, but I am blessed with four beautiful and very energetic sons. Now, something that you might not know is that my third son, Ian, who's about three, who's three years old right now, he does have some delays in his verbal and motor development. So we found this pretty early on within a year of his life. We found out that he wasn't walking or really talking or saying much. So we went to the doctors, got it diagnosed pretty, pretty quickly. So we spent months basically just looking for clinics and therapists, just trying to figure out, because we've never done this before, just trying to figure out what do we need to do next. So we spent a long time getting our insurance together, interviewing different therapists, finding out what the best clinics are to go. And finally, when we were able to get everything lined up, we had a, we had a speech person, you know, we had, a, we had a physical PT person, we had it all lined up, it was great. The very first day, my three-year-old son was to go to the clinic was also the very same day that the city shut everything down. March 2019. I kid you not, the very same day. And I was really angry at God. Really angry. I was so frustrated. I was so brokenhearted. I saw my son and struggling to say the simplest of words. I'm just like, I got, I don't, I don't get it. You know, they're trying to help us out. We're zooming in, you know, we're having like, they're trying to coach us up on what to do. I'm not a professional. I don't know how to do this stuff. And it's just so frustrating. And I, and I try, I avoided God as much as I could. I tried to avoid God, but as a pastor, you can only do that for so long. So one day, you know, I opened up my devotional and the verse for that day to read was from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, that says, Be strong and courageous, for your God is with you. Wow. And do you know what's interesting? That as soon as I read that verse, I know what God was doing. Because my wife and I, we've had the beautiful privilege of dedicating all our children here at Park Community Church. And guess what verse we used to dedicate our child Joshua chapter one, be strong and courageous for your God is with you. In that moment, I knew what God was doing. And I said, God, loud and clear, you got this. You will take care of my son. I trust you. This was the very truth of God. This was the voice of God that brought me back to him. This was the truth of God that brought a broken heart, an anxious heart. And it brought peace and rest. Friends, don't drift from the one who is peace himself. It could be very possible that God has allowed the hardships and uncertainties to happen in your life just to show you just how deep his restful peace can go into your hearts. If we want to possess the restful peace that God gives, do not distance yourself from God's word. Don't drift from it because God meets us in his word and the Holy Spirit works powerfully through the word of God to give us that rest. 
You know, in that hymn, Come Thou Fount, it expresses really well what we've been talking about today. And may this be our prayer. One of the verses says this. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, 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 take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, would you help us to grow in our trust? Father, help us as a church not to be defined by continual disbelief, continual doubt, continual whining, just like the Israelites in the wilderness, but God, help us to be defined by faithfulness, by trust. Thank God, because we know that you are good. You are sovereign. You are in control. That, Father, there is nothing that happens in our lives and around our lives. That, Father, that you are not sovereignly directing. God, I pray, Lord, that for many of us here who are sitting here, just dealing with different things in our lives, different disappointments, different anxieties, different busyness, God, and it just feels like maybe everything's just kind of pressing in on us. Father, would you be able to help us to take a step back and to be reminded again, that, Father, it is you that we live for. That it is you who love us and accept us, and we live for an audience of one. So, God, would you bring us to that place of rest and peace? God, would you bring us back to your word? Father, we love you. We thank you for all that your son has done. That is because of him. God, we can experience a right relationship with you and this restful peace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.